few weeks ago, after we had uh, our New York fellowship in Manhattan, I, uh, I was going through a pretty rough period of, of pain, back pain. I had reached back into my car, and that was what did it. I, uh, I have historically dealt with some stuff like that, but I've gone a number of years without any major incidents, and I was pretty happy about that. And I've gone a lot longer since I did anything in earnest. And nowadays, it's always I sneezed or I did something silly. But then we drove up to New York, and in my small car, and the trip back that night, I was in a lot of agony. And the next day was our communion, and I missed it. It's the first time I missed church or work in a very long time, and I was very, very sorry about that. And it bothered me dearly. It bothered me especially because I was actually at John chapter 13 in my studies for services there. I didn't know whether I would get so far as to um, the actual passage about foot washing because the beginning is so rich. I say that because this became much more important of a study to me, and I'd like to share some things with you from John chapter 13 this morning. I'd like to read just the first three verses of John chapter 13, where it says, Now, before the the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God, and went to God. There's a lot happening there, isn't there? Let's take a moment and look to the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the precious gift that you gave us in your Son. We thank you, Lord, for preserving your word till now. For, Lord, the way that you have continued to preserve even this church till now, by your spirit, not by might or by power, but by your spirit. I ask, Lord, that again this, this, this morning that your word, Lord, might be alive to us and that we might be fed. In Jesus' name, amen. The backdrop to this is actually Luke 22, which I'd like to look at in just a moment, which is uh, really the Passover. But before that, it says before the feast of the Passover. So this is Jesus' final Passover. In that book, it's going to say by Jesus, he says, With desire have I greatly desired to enjoy this feast with you. I'm messing up the wording a little bit, but we'll get there. But Jesus is making it very clear that he had desired for this moment, this final true Passover, and maybe the truest of all the Passovers, to happen. And he wanted to have it with them. Really, really important. It tells us a little bit about how Savior, our Savior and his love for us. For he loved the disciples with the same love that he loves us with. It says that he loves us with loving kindness. His loving kindness was to share this most important moment of his life on the earth. At least it would seem to be to him. It doesn't say in his words that he desired with great desire to face down Pontius Pilate or Herod. He doesn't use such words to talk about how he would face down all the sin of all of his beloved elect pouring down on him. He doesn't say that he looked forward to having that moment when even God himself would turn his face away. No, he looked forward to that moment with them, even though that was on the eve of that moment on the cross. Indeed, the meal was all about showing what Jesus would eventually do for his people. And it was all about the destruction of the lamb. What was it all, also all about? Well, it was also all about readiness. During the Passover, the people were uh, called to have their staff in one hand and be clothed and ready to run, their sneakers tied, their bags packed and waiting at the door, ready to go immediately. 
Indeed, that was what happened at the first Passover. So they were ready to go, and because they were ready to go, they left immediately, and the Egyptian army, when the Pharaoh had changed his mind, wasn't able to catch up to them until God had put a, fire, a cloud of fire in between the Israelites and them, and then he eventually caused it so the timing made it so that they were exactly in the middle of the Red Sea when they would be destroyed. If they weren't ready to run right at that moment, it would have been a problem. And so the Jews up until this moment had been observing the Passover that way, ready to run, ready to be set free, believing that God would show them a moment when they would have their enemies destroyed. And as the scriptures say, the last enemy that was to be destroyed was death. Jesus here was staring down an enemy far greater than Pharaoh and the mightiest army in the world at the time. He was staring down death and hell themselves. And he desired to enjoy this meal with his friends. He would go on after this. He would, Judas would be dismissed, and then he would change his tone for the next few chapters. And he said things along the lines of, now I call you friends. The disciples were so surprised at his verbiage that they would say, no, you speak no longer in Proverbs. Now you speak to us plainly. They would say things like, show us the Father. And Jesus would be surprised and say, have, you, have I been so, with you so short? Don't you know that if you see me, you've seen the Father? And by the end, they began to see fully exactly who he was. And this would be a long night. And it is right to say that Jesus would never again sleep as men on the earth sleep. He would spend the night teaching them. And they would be so weary after the feast and all the teaching that they couldn't even stay up when he begged them to in the garden. He would stay up. He would never again sleep. He would then go through the trial of his and every man's lifetime. The greatest event in human history. And that would be true even if it wasn't for all the many benefits that we are going to gain out of it. Human history was changed by that event. The world would be changed that night. But here it was that just before this feast would happen, it says of Jesus that something else was I don't know if we could call it different, because the mystery of God's revealed understanding of himself on the earth is never really fully unfolded to us, and I don't know that we are in a position to understand it. But what we know for sure is what is said here, and what is plain, that Jesus knew that his hour was come. The hour would come, was come that, as I said, he would face down death and hell. He would have put on him the sins of all of his own. He would become the Passover lamb and be slain for our sake. But that wasn't the end. It says also that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. It says of him that he did what he did for the joy which was set before him. One of the joys that he had was in presence with the Father. He loved his Father. He loved him to the end. He loved him from the beginning and from eternity past. So for him, it was a very good thing to get to go back and be with the Father. But he also, it says, having loved his own which were in the world. He also greatly desired that his own would be with the Father. So much so that he came to reveal the Father unto them in a place here, this sin-sick world where there was no access to the Father. Jesus himself came to be with them. It says that he loved his own which were in the world. Now the comfort in that, beloved, is that there are still those that are his own that are in the world today. That's why I take great joy in the saying about Jesus that he greatly, he desired with great desire to be with them to enjoy that meal because he has that same tone today. His great conqueror of whom we just sang in victory in Jesus was also the same one of whom we sang when we sang that song, Come and Dine. That was referencing a moment that would come after this, after Jesus was resurrected when he was on the shore. But he had often desired to dine with his dear and beloved, his own which were in the world. But it says of them that he loved them, not just that he had loved them, but he loved them unto 
The end. If there is a quality about Jesus that we should always hang our hats on, it's that he is faithful. It is a name that he has given in the Revelation. It says, name faithful and true. His faithfulness is that on which our faith hangs. Our hope of our salvation hangs on his faithfulness to the Father, his faithfulness to us. He said he would never leave us nor forsake us. I say all these things because I want to unfold unto you the goodness and the love and the majesty and the power and the completion of the work of Jesus on the earth. Because in the world we live in now, things are unsettling. There are always wars. There always have been wars. We live in such a time where there have been so many people, so many um, weapons of war in the world, more than ever were imagined before 100 years ago. And yet, we live in a time of, which has been the last 80 years or so, great peace. That won't last forever. We know this. But we also live in a time when we hear everything that comes to our ears. Everything that happens in the world, it seems, or at least everything that people desire to share with us. Many of the sad things that happen come to our door. C.S. Lewis said that the newspapers bring the sorrows of the world to our door. How much more the internet and television. I want you to be comforted in this world. Because you are here in a world that is not our final place. Many of our songs sing about that. How we desired a better place. We are pilgrims and wanderers on this earth. However, that doesn't mean that everything that's happening isn't under the complete control of the Father. That's hard to wrestle with. But I want to give you some proof that comes directly out of this passage. For he says his hour has come, and he's going to depart out of this world unto the Father. Why would he be departing out of this world? Why would he be leaving? Because the work is completed. You are referred to in the Bible in, as past tense, glorified. Glorified. I don't have time to get into all, what all that means, but I'll tell you this. It means that the work is done. We have victory in Jesus. Final victory. It says here that supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. When I was a young man, there was a teaching that had grown in popularity. And it was the teaching that there would be a period of seven years when God would no longer have control over the earth. He would, for whatever the reason, he would give control to an antichrist, singular. I wanted to note that it said singular there. The reason for that was never really fully explained to me. It was gathered out of a number of different scriptures. The problem with that is that God bought this world with his flesh and blood, wholly and completely. More than a man who has bought a wife. More, but not less than, and certainly not less than. I would submit to you that that is a full-throated lie from the enemy. And the proof is here. Supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. A long time before this passage, Jesus, when answering... An excellent, excellent answer. Simon Peter was answering Jesus, who said, will you also go away? After many disciples had left, after he had been teaching them, he was the bread of life, that he was going to have to die, that they were going to have to live on his very flesh. The very teaching that we use when we teach uh, the communion. Many left, and Jesus turned to them and said, Will you go away? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's a great answer. And you'd think maybe if it was me, and I had some guy who often was uh, teaching and getting angry at things that were maybe not necessarily worth getting angry at, like Peter, that maybe I would uh, want to go out of my way to, to compliment him. But Jesus here used this moment to reveal something special. 
At another time, Jesus had revealed to Peter that when he confessed that Jesus was the Son of God, that flesh and blood hadn't revealed it to him anyway. That this understanding came directly from the Father. It was not something a man can earn. There is no mountain you can climb to find the knowledge. There is no library into which you can dive to understand that truth. It is a matter only revealed by the Holy Ghost from the Father. But this time, Jesus says something different. He says, have I... Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? One of you is a devil. Fast forward, and Jesus has now revealed, and he will go on later on in this chapter to talk about how it would have been, it is not going to be very good for Judas. But in the game, you might call it a game of chess that God was playing, where he was easily outmaneuvering Satan, he used Satan to do the very thing which he desired to do on the earth. He used Satan through Judas to slay the Passover lamb. He used the powers of the world at that time, the Roman Empire, the rulers of Jerusalem. And you'd think, you'd think, knowing what you know about the world today and the troubles you see in governments and places, that God would, if he sent his son to the world, be chiefly concerned with fixing those things right away, right? Jesus faced down, again, Pontius Pilate. He faced down Herod. He faced down the rulers of Jerusalem, those corrupt rulers who were using God's word falsely. Shouldn't he have gone and fixed that? Wasn't that the most important thing? Paul and possibly Peter would eventually meet with Nero. Shouldn't they have been concerned with taking down that wicked government for all the horrible things it did? Well, the answer is no. See, at the end of this, Jesus is going to say, All power is given me in heaven and earth. That means he won all power. Everything. Every government, every force, the power of creation was already his, but everything was his at the end of all this. He didn't concentrate on the political. But more important than that, he used all those wicked men to do his bidding. Indeed, the only time that the powers of the earth seem to agree, as was evidenced by Pontius Pilate and Herod, is when they're coming against the Lord and his people. It said that Pontius Pilate and Herod had had no communion before that, and then they were friendly after that, after they had tried to try Jesus. Again, I say all that to comfort you, because it's unimportant. What's important is what would happen on the cross. What's important is that the work that the Father sent the Son to do was completed faithfully. But it says, And supper being ended, and the devil having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now, if God was going to give up the whole world for a time to the enemy, you'd think he'd be gaining a lot for that, right? But here, God simply chose one that was a son of Belial, as the scriptures might say, that was already a son of Satan, to be with him for a few years and to carry out the work of selling him over to the Jews and eventually the Romans. And in so doing, what did he gain? Everything. And most importantly, you. That was all that he ever gave over to Satan was something that was his already. And he gained all power in heaven and earth. But he didn't just gain all power in heaven and earth. I know that's a big just, isn't it? But it says, this is Jesus himself speaking, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. He also won, as some might call it, the underworld. He now owns the very keys to death and hell, to the point that no one passes through the door of death without his express permission to open it. His power is so complete 
that it is unimaginable that there is anything not under his power. What that means, beloved, is that there will be no period when the Lord is not completely in control of everything, sovereignly, to the end, through the end, unto a new heaven and new earth, and the Lord's be all things forevermore. And I pray that that comforts you. But, again, that example was a small example. It was just a small moment that even a child could piece out. The important thing here was not, in fact, what great things God was about to do. The important thing here is that he still is spending his time with his. And that he now also has more than just a man's knowledge of Jewry, more than just a man's knowledge of the Passover. It says, finally, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things unto his hands. Beloved, that was before he won all things. This is how faithful and true God is. Is that when he says a thing is done, it is done. You may not see it happening with your own eyes. You may not even be there for the final moments of it. But when he says a thing is happening, it's done. Remember that when Jesus would return to God, what was, what was said of him? It's the most quoted passage, if I'm not mistaken, in the New Testament, out of the Old. It says that God, the Father, said this, and the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand while I make thine enemies thy footstool. Where do you think he is right now? And there's only one example of him doing anything other than sitting and resting while the Father does exactly that, making Jesus' enemies his footstool. And that was when Stephen died. And when Stephen died and he gave up the ghost, he looked up and he saw and he said, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand, the throne of the Father. Indeed, he stood to receive his own, and I think that is the same till this very day. And so while we consider big things and big events in the world, remember the most important thing to Jesus is gathering together here. He was there in that room with his beloved because that was the right thing to do. It's why we gather together at church on Sundays. And I would submit to you that there is no movement in government, no election, no judge appointment, no event that happens in the world that's more important than the gathering together of the saints here in this place. So I encourage you, and I'm very glad that you're all here. I encourage you to be here and to be together because where he is, is the power that rules all things. It says he also knew that he was come from God and went to God. When he went to God... He went to go and rule. And to what else? What else does he do besides rule? What else does he do besides sit patiently while his father makes his enemies his footstool? There's something else. You must know it. I'm sure he does many other things. The Lord of life and light, I'm sure, is not idle. But there is something very important. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. Every moment, every day, he does not tire. He only rested once, and that was for you to take an example, beloved, that you might rest on Sundays from your cares, from your labors, from your pleasures, and rest in him. But all the while, every day, in every way, he makes intercession for you. So when we think about the matters happening in the world, and we sometimes sorrow rightly, or take joy rightly, in things that can happen to or fro, let us remember that the Lord of all creation saw it more important to be with his people the night before he was going to be leaving this world than to have any other pleasure on earth. To not just be with his people, but to be with his people in obedience of his Father, observing the Passover one final time. And may we continue to follow in his example and trust him really and practically. Thank you for your good attention. I'm thankful that God is in control. Uh, In Job, it's described this way. 
Satan is going about and his great desire and intent is to do us harm and to destroy us in every way. But thankfully, God is in control and God puts a hedge of protection about us. And Satan doesn't need any help in doing what he does. He's real good at that. He works at us. He doesn't need any help in that. If he just turned loose, he's always going to do the wrong thing to destroy us. He needs no help in that. But Satan can only do as much as what God allows him to do. Because he's described as having a hedge of protection about us. And I'm thankful that God has this hedge of protection about us. And Satan can only do what God would allow by removing a degree of that hedge of protection. I believe that God has a hedge of protection about his people. I believe he has a hedge of protection about this country that we live in. I believe he has a hedge of protection about our families. And I'm thankful that he protects us with that hedge of protection by his amazing grace. Only Satan can do what God allows him to. And Satan needs no help in doing what he does. He's very experienced at that. Brother Don Richards wrote a really good article. Uh, and I'm going to make one reference to it here. In, uh, in the Banner of Love, it was a real good article. It's about being thankful. Uh, I want to look at some scriptures that might help us to overcome an unthankful heart. How do we overcome an unthankful heart? Brother Don wrote the article and, and he referenced George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. And although I'm not putting these men above the uh, word of God, I do appreciate the acknowledgement that they had in establishing uh, the principle of being thankful in the country in which we live. Interestingly, this first one about George Washington was written in 1789. The little church at Columbia that we go to was established just three years after this proclamation was written in 1792. Interesting that George Washington was the president when Columbia Church started. A lot of history there. A lot of history at the Old Brick Church as well. But here's what George Washington said. Wouldn't it be great if our leaders today took this same principle and implemented it in the land in which we live? George Washington said, It is our duty to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God. It is our duty to obey His will. It is our duty to be grateful for His benefits and humbly implore His perfection. He said, I recommend a day of public thanksgiving and prayer. And it says, he thus set aside a thanksgiving day to be devoted by the people to the service of the great and glorious being. We thank him for the civil and religious liberty which we are blessed and we beseech him to pardon our transgressions. And to help us render our national government a blessing to all the people. That was in 1789. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln 
writes this. I invite my fellow citizens to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our Father who dwelleth in heaven. It is announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations are blessed whose God is Lord. It is fit and proper that God should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged by the whole American people. Abraham Lincoln, 1863. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, there is a strong admonition to the Israelites who had been greatly protected and delivered. And he encourages them not to become lifted up in pride, lifted up in self, and to forget where their deliverance has come from. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, we'll read a few verses right here. It says, When thou hast eaten and art full, then shalt thou bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Isn't it amazing when we are full, when things are going well, when things are going smooth, that we tend to forget about the Lord. Here he says, when things are going well, when you're full, when the Lord's given you the land, he said, you remember to thank the Lord and bless the Lord, even in the good times. It is amazing how in the difficult times, that's when we run to the Lord, in the challenging times. In fact, sometimes we have a more grateful heart when we have challenges in our life. I think we'd all do well to be like Sister Perry, who lived to be 104 and a half years old. And she said, every day that I begin my day, I begin thanking God for his blessings. We do well to do that. Maybe that's one reason the Lord kept her here 104 years, is he was pleased with her thankful heart that she had. Beware, here the Lord gives uh, an admonition. He says, Beware lest thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein. And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied. He says, then thine heart be lifted up. And he says, that's when you forget the Lord. He said, when you have the goodly houses, when your herds are built up. When your silver is built up, your gold is multiplied. He says, when you're full, when things are going well, then you have a tendency to forget the Lord. 
And he says, Then thy heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which hath delivered thee, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, which uh, brought thee out from the house of bondage, who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness. He said, Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna. He says, uh, Don't forget to be thankful to God, even in those good times. Because God can bless with lean times if we forget to be thankful to the Lord. He gives them strong admonition right here. He says, in fact, he says, you may get to the point when things are going so well that you're going to say it's by my might that it's become that way. Or it's by my own power. And you forget to give the Lord the praise and the thanksgiving for it. So for whatever you've been blessed with in life, whether it's your family, whether it's your health, whether it's your provisions, be mindful to to give the Lord the credit and the Lord the praise for it because it's of his blessings that you have what you have. As Elder Compton used to say, God gives us not only the desire, but God gives us the ability. He gets all the credit for it, for the desire and the ability. Let's go over to uh, uh, Luke. Uh, There's a a great example. We looked at this recently. This is so uh, applicable right here. In Luke chapter uh, 17, it talks about the ten that had leprosy. And it says that as it came to pass, Luke chapter 17, verse 11, and it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him 10 men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And it says, and they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, master, have mercy upon us. Isn't it amazing how that we go before the Lord when we have an affliction here in our life? Interestingly, right here, it appears that all 10 of these lepers went to the Lord and asked the Lord to have mercy upon them. Isn't that our case when we have afflictions in our life, when we have challenges in our life, when we have difficulties in our life, we remember to go to the Lord. Thankfully, we do. That's the right place to go. If you've got problems and difficulties in your life, you need to go to the Lord. But not only to the Lord when we have difficulties and problems. And we have the example right here. It says that they went to the Lord and said, Lord, would you have mercy upon us? Aren't we thankful that we have a merciful God? He's the God of all mercy. He's the Father of all mercies. He's the God of all compassion. He helps us. He's the Father of all comfort. And He helps us in the midst of our challenges. And He's the right one that we go to. But how many times does God deliver us or help us in the midst of our trial? And then we just get so busy that we forget to thank Him for it. Look at what he says right here. They lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. And it says, and when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And it says that as they came to pass, they went and it says that they were cleansed. They went before the Lord. They asked the Lord to have mercy upon them. The Lord instructs them, go show yourself to the priest. And as they were going to show themselves to the priest, it says that they were cleansed. And it says, as as they went, it says, and as they went, they were cleansed. 
And it says, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back with a loud voice and he glorified God. Now, how many were healed? Ten. How many turned back to give God the glory? One. That's probably a good example for all of us that maybe we have a thankful heart 10% of the time. Only 10% turned around. How many were healed? How many went before the Lord? 10 went before the Lord and asked that the Lord would have mercy upon them. How many did the Lord heal? He healed 10. How many turned back and gave thanks? One. 10%. That might be a real good example that 10% of the time, maybe even 10% of the time, we express to the Lord a thankful heart. The Lord himself, you think it's important to the Lord whether or not we have a thankful heart? Let's look right here what he said. The Lord himself, one turned back, fell on his face, giving thanks. And it says he was a Samaritan. And Jesus said, were there not ten that were cleansed? But where's the other nine? I wonder if the Lord is concerned about the other 90% of the time that we fail to have a thankful heart. Here he says, the Lord says, I thought there was, he didn't say I thought, he says there were 10 that were cleansed and only one turned back to offer thanksgiving. Where are the nine? And it says, there are not found that return to give glory to God, save this one stranger. So God himself, through Jesus Christ, acknowledged That we ought to have a thankful heart. He warns us in Deuteronomy. One more uh, place that we'll look at in the New Testament that encourages, that that, that condemns us for not having a thankful heart. It's, it's, It's very, very important. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says that That know this, this know also, that in the last days, you may say, well, what are the last days? When is the Lord going to come back? When is the Lord going to deliver us from all of this? He said, here is the description of the last days. He says, know then this, that in the last days... Perilous times are going to come. means difficult times are going to come. And then he describes the last days. I believe that it sounds like we're living in the last days. Maybe the Lord will come quickly. Maybe he'd come before this day is over with. He says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. More than lovers of God, lovers of their own selves. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. They'll be covetous. They'll be boasters. They'll be proud. They'll be blasphemers. Here's another description of the last days. Disobedient to parents. That's changed just in the last... It's since, since I was brought up, I, 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 we were taught, maybe it's because we were living in a little bitty town, everybody knew everybody, 
but one of the things that was taught and, and emphasized very strongly is that you respect your parents and your grandparents and people of authority. I remember being taught clearly that you respect people in positions of authority. It seems like we've gotten away from that. It says in the last days, there's going to be those that are disobedient to parents. And then he describes something else right here. Interesting, all of these are right here lined up together, and this one is right next to being unholy. He says disobedient to parents, and then he says unthankful. Hmm. So it's very important that we have a thankful heart. He said unthankful, and then he says right next to unthankful, you say, well, I, it's not that big a deal. I, I, I may not be as thankful as I ought to be, but, but at least I'm holy. At least I'm obedient to my parents. He says right here, he says the description of the last day is, is being unthankful. And then he says an unholy and without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. He's describing the last days. Sounds like we might possibly be in the last days. So how do we overcome having an unthankful heart? How do we overcome? The first thing that's a really good reminder for us is that when we go before the Lord, we ought to do like Sister Perry. We ought to start our prayers with being thankful to God. We ought to start our prayers and rather than go to God and start just just pouring out our petitions and say, Lord, would you help me? And would you deliver me? And would you, would you make me well? Or would you de deliver me in my job situation? We ought to go before the Lord and start our prayers with a thankful heart. Do you know it's amazing how that when we have a thankful heart, it takes care of a whole lot of other things. It really does. It takes care of being overcome with despair. It takes care of struggling with depression. It takes care oftentimes of being overwhelmed. Because when we start and we start talking to the Lord and we start thanking Him for all the blessings that He's bestowed upon us, it's amazing how that God changes our thinking by expressing our thanksgiving to Him. You say, well, I have a hard time. I, 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 I don't know what to be thankful for. I, I, I'll just give you a real simple uh, lesson right here. Every, every one of us could do this. Take a notepad, take a little piece of paper or a big piece of paper and just simply begin to write down. It helps me. I, I write stuff down. I had a minister tell me, he says, I don't ever try to remember anything that I can write down. Well, one reason I write down is because I don't remember all these things and I'm afraid I'll forget. And so I write down everything. Well, one of the things to write down, to physically write down, is start writing down the blessings that God's bestowed upon you. I know you're blessed or you wouldn't even be here today. God's given you not only the desire, but he's given you the ability. You had the ability to get up this morning and to 
put yourself together and to, to, to find your way here. And because of that, you ought to be thankful. Amen. You had the means to be able to come here this morning. Nobody called me for a ride. Uh, didn't have the way to come. You had the ability to get here this morning. You, you had the provisions to do it. You had the desire to do it. God blessed you with the health and the ability. You are blessed with family. The other day, Calvin and Elsa came through the handshake and when they were bringing their new little boy and it's so precious. I said, you are so blessed. And they are. And so are every one of you that have these precious little children. What a great blessing from God. Isn't it a blessing that Grace and Jared are going to be parents? Now, everybody ought to amen that. I mean, they're going to make such wonderful parents. But what a great blessing that these parents have these little ones to bring to church. That is such a wonderful blessing to see the little ones here. What a great blessing. Just recently, someone was telling me about their godly parents. And they said, I was so blessed to have a mother and father. It was actually Sister Linda. She may be on the line. This was just yesterday. She said, I was so blessed to have. I said, I was so thankful to know your mother. Your mother was such a great example. Your mother was such a great blessing. Your mother was such an encouragement. She said, oh, I wish you'd have met my dad. She said, I was so blessed to have such wonderful parents. She said, I look back and I don't remember them ever having a crossword with each other. What a great blessing to have parents like that. You've been blessed if you've been blessed with a wonderful family, with good health, with godly parents, with godly grandparents. I'm so thankful for Sister Anita. She not only brought her kids and grandkids to church, but she brings her great great grandkids to church. In my situation, my grandparents were my connection to the church. And I'll always be thankful for godly grandparents that set a great example. My grandfathers were my mentors and were my best friends. And I'm thankful that God blessed me with that. The Apostle Paul starts out and and he starts out in Philippians and he starts out in Colossians. And he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. What a great blessing. Look at the people. Paul said, I am thankful for you in my life. You are very much who you are because of the people that God put in your life. If for no other reason that you have to be thankful, you could be thankful for the people that God has put in your life that's made an impact upon you. And that's very much who you are this day because of the good people that God put in your life. We ought to be thankful for each other. We ought to be. Paul said, I'm thankful for you. And he says, I pray for you. And I pray for your furtherance in the gospel. I pray for that your knowledge and that your grace may abound yet more and more in Christ Jesus. So not only when you express to God your thanksgiving for each other, you also ought to pray for each other. You ought to pray for your brothers and sisters and especially those that you know that have challenges along the way. But you ought to hold them up in prayer, but be thankful for them. The psalmist says in Psalm 100, love this little psalm, only five short verses. He says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. 
love our hymn singing when we come together. Boy, the singing was such a blessing this morning. If we just had the song service and went home, it would have been a blessing to be here. It would have been. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord. And, and I like how he says this right here. He says, serve the Lord. And he says, you serve the Lord with gladness. If you aren't glad in serving the Lord, there's something wrong. If you're serving the Lord just because that's what you're supposed to do, then you're missing a blessing right there. He says, you come before the Lord and you serve the Lord with gladness. And then Paul says it over in Philippians. He says, rejoice in the Lord. He says it twice. says it actually three times. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, and again, I say rejoice. And he tells us three times in one chapter to serve the Lord and rejoice in the Lord. Right here, he says, you serve the Lord and you serve him with gladness. You ought to be glad to serve the Lord. You have a wonderful God to serve. He's been so good to you. He's blessed you in so many ways. You ought to come before him and you ought to serve him with gladness. If you're serving him any other way, you ought to go before the Lord and repent of it and tell him to give you a thankful heart and to serve him with gladness. He says you ought to serve the Lord with gladness and you ought to come before his presence with singing. Now, there's a good lesson for us to, to sing. He says, come before the Lord's presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he's God and that he hath made us. And by the way, here's something to be thankful for. He says, you know that he's made us and we have not made ourselves. We are his people and we are the sheep of his pasture. Thank goodness we are. And then he says, as a result, he says, when you come before his courts, when you come into his gates, you come come into it with a thankful heart. What does that mean? It means when you come to the house of the Lord, you ought to come in the, the door and you ought to be thankful. You ought to be thankful that you have the opportunity to come before the Lord, before his presence. He said, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, enter into his courts with praise. And he just says simply, be thankful unto him. I mean, that that's not hard to understand. May be hard to do, but he says right here, enter into his courts with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, be thankful unto him. And he says, and in so doing, you're blessing his name. For the Lord, why is it that we're thankful? For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth to all generations. Three more Psalms over, 103. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. It just means praise him and be thankful. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. That's for all of us right here. He says, you say, well, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to be thankful for. Well, here's something to be thankful for right here, and this is all of us. He says, who forgetteth all thine iniquities. That ought to be something you're thankful for. That he's paid the price for your sins and he forgetteth all your iniquities. He says, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth thy diseases, who, re who, for who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfy thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. One more that helps us to overcome an unthankful heart. In Philippians, 
this helps us right here. Again, he says here in, in chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He says, be careful for nothing. That just simply means not be overcome with despair, despondency. In everything, come to the Lord in prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, he says, let your requests be made known unto God. And he says, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So here's another way that we can overcome having an unthankful heart. He says, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things be of good report. He said, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, he says, simply think on these things. We used to have a, a dear, dear brother here. He taught us a lot by his example. He prayed a wonderful prayer. Brother Ray Evers, oh, he, Lord, blessed us with knowing him. He said, Brother Stephen, when I read this portion of text right here, and I think about whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, he says, when I think on those things, he says, you know what I think about? I think about Christ. You know, the best way to overcome despair and having an unthankful heart is to just simply think about Christ. And all that he is and all that he does and all that he's done for you. And as Brother John said, is all that he's doing for you as mediator. And if you think about what all Christ is doing for you, you'll end up with a very, very thankful heart to give him praise. You won't have any trouble going before his courts and entering to his gates with thanksgiving. Because when you're thinking about him and the impact that he's had upon your life and the work that he's doing in your life now and the work that he's already done so that you're going to have life eternal, you're not going to have any. And, and, and for delivering you from your sins, you're not going to have any problem having a thankful heart when you think about Christ. Overcoming despair and discouragement, an unthankful heart. We do it by thinking on Christ and his promises and what he's done for us and what he's doing for us and the home that he's prepared for us. Oh, we sing the song, What a Day That Will Be. That's going to be a wonderful day when he takes us home, when he delivers us from ourselves and from all the challenges of sin. We have so much to be thankful for. I love this time of the year. I love this holiday to set aside. We ought not to just be thankful uh, during Thanksgiving, but we ought to be thankful uh, every day of the year and have a thankful heart and go before him with Thanksgiving. No matter where we are in life, no matter who we are, we have so, so much to be thankful for. May God bless you.